as Jim mentioned, we've been in this uh, series on prayer. We've talked about prayer's connection, as Jim reminded us, um, that that's primary, um, that it is more about this uh, experience that we have with another. So uh, prayer is, of course, with God. That's uh, how we would understand it. And it's not so much about the words we share or the words we say. That's a part of it. That's the expression of what's on our heart and on our mind. But it is this connection that we're experiencing with God. Um, and, uh, and so uh, we've been looking at different expressions of that. Um, and this morning, I want to look at um, the expression of prayer as meditation. Um, some years ago, uh, I was uh, taking a shower and uh, uh, never taken in one since. No, um, so I was taking a shower a few uh, a few years back, and, and I had this uh, moment of um, being in real deep thought, which is usually where I do a lot of my deep thinking is either driving or in the shower, and uh, and and thus a waste of a lot of water. But anyways, I was there in deep thought, and I had this moment of realization that while I was thinking and praying that I was not feeling better. I was actually feeling worse. And in fact, the more I prayed, the worse I felt. And, uh, <clears throat> and then I began to think about all the other times that I had prayed and come away feeling worse. Now that's not, it's not hundred percent of the time for sure. I had times where I'd walk away from prayer feeling amazing, but as of late, I had been feeling worse, meaning I'd come out of that. I, I was, not happier. I was, I was uh, more focused on the problems. So I've been praying about the problems I was having. Uh, how many of you have done that? You've prayed about the problems you have, and maybe for some of you, you walk away and you feel better, like you've unloaded that. So that's one of the experiences we have when we pray. We feel like we're unloading something. But other times, you may have the experience of praying and actually coming away feeling worse. Meaning that your mind spent, you spent so much time on that negative thing that you couldn't, you didn't get unstuck from that. You came away and it was still present with you. In fact, leaving prayer might've been a relief. It was like, I'm done. I just want to go on and do something else just to get it off my mind. Um, and so uh, since then, um, it's taken a few years of reflection on that occasionally here and there. And then having conversations with other people who've had similar experiences for me, to be to create this little um, uh, comparison or con contrast between two words, and that is the difference between uh, prayer as meditation or prayer as contemplation versus prayer as uh, rumination. And so, uh, rumination is that stuff that gets us into dark places. Contemplation takes us out of that. Um, <clears throat> and so. Uh, this idea is captured here in Philippians uh, chapter four. Now, we started this back a few weeks ago where um, I did the first part of um, this section on prayer. Um, and prayer is <clears throat> for Paul, he says here in Philippians four, that prayer is petition and supplication, which are just words meaning asking, requesting. Um, and then he goes on, uh, where is it now? It shifted. There it is. <clears throat> um, and then he wraps up this section. Actually, let me, um, I want to read Philippians. That, that first part is a reminder for us. Um, 
Yeah, so in verse four, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. Uh, the Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God in the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts, minds through Christ Jesus. I'm going to switch the translation. That's, a, that's the... Uh, New American Standard Bible, which is a much more literal and kind of wooden. Um, so let's see, Philippians. That was weird. It just dropped Philippians out completely. Philippians 4 um, in the New International Version. Um, and so this is the setup where he has us thinking about uh, praying and how we approach God. So there's rejoicing in there. There's Thanksgiving, right? These are very, very two important components. Uh, there's been a lot of talk about gratitude, you know, when, when we reflect on our lives and reflect on what's happening in our day is a gratitude practice that's become real popular across the country. Um, but I've added one to it that has been, um, yes, gratitude is incredibly important and very helpful. Uh, but we also need to have a, a celebration as well. What are we celebrating? Both are very important uh, as pairs, particularly as we enter into prayer. Because, again, prayer can turn into rumination versus, let's say, contemplation or meditation. Right? So um, that's why it's important to celebrate what is going on. Rejoice. What's happening in your life that's going well? Um, what are you doing that is, doing, that is, that is good? You know, and reflect on, and celebrate those things. Our attention can so easily go on what is not working in my life and what I'm not doing well. Um, and that brings us down. That does not help our prayer. It does not help us um, bring our attention to the good things and to develop those good things. You know, you can work endlessly on trying not to be bad, but it, but that doesn't get you any better um, as opposed to like focus on what you've done well and develop and grow that, right? So this is not an ignoring of the things you've done bad. It's just that we know our minds can end up there very easily, much more so than on celebrating what's going on. So Paul starts out with rejoice. And then again, uh, be grateful. And th with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And then we drop down to verse eight. And he says, finally, my brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Okay. Um, this is, uh, so let me just break this down a little bit because it is, there are a lot of words there. And whenever there's a lot of words, I think, I don't know if that happens to you, but it happens to my mind when there's a lot of stream of a lot of words that are descriptive, like adjectives one after the other. I, I lose what the, I lose what the point is. I try to jump to the, like the, you know, what's the main point here? Cause, cause it's too many words, uh, too many adjectives here. Um, but he's being pretty specific and precise in using these, these words. There are six of them. Um, it's interesting, right? That's because again, numbers are very, um, very symbolic and have parallels to them. So with these six, um, uh, words, it, it's, um, you might think, well, uh, you know, six is the number of, if you know anything about numbers in the Bible, six is the number of man, seven is the perfect number, right? So, um, 
This is good because it's, it's symbolic of these are all the attributes, the good attributes of human beings, if we can maintain them, if we can live to them, towards them. Paul is not saying, hey, all of these characters, these characteristics, you are to live out perfectly. And so what he's saying is, no, reflect on those, think about those, meditate on those, dwell on those, because where your attention goes, the energy follows. Where you pay, where your mind goes is also where your behaviors will go. And so he's, he's saying, look, look at these things, think about these things. And so he begins with whatever is true. And uh, so let's start with that word, true or truth. So true or truth is something that is very difficult for us as humans to understand fully. Show me two people, no matter how close friends they are, that agree on everything. There is no such thing. And if there are, those two people are lying to each other. There is no such thing as two people who agree on everything. And occasionally I run into people who are like, oh, we agree, we, you know, we're in love and brand new love and we agree on everything. We see that. I, I think to myself, great, that's what infatuation does. It blinds you. But then after that, you have to get past that and you got to begin to see that, oh my, we do see the world very differently. And we um, and we see truth very differently from one another. Interestingly enough, um, the Reformation, so um, this is Martin Luther, Protestant, you know, started, started the Protestant denominations. Um, theirs was an insistence on wanting to know the truth, biblical truth, and, um, and pushing that. You know, we need to get back to the scriptures, and the scriptures will, uh, will tell us the truth. No more church tradition. None of this stuff of the Pope tells us what to believe and think. We can find that out ourselves through scripture. Um, well, there was a lot of good to the Reformation, but it was, uh, but it's also impossible for us to ascertain the truth simply by reading scripture. And the result of that, of course, as you have heard me say before, is 40,000 denominations and counting under the Protestant movement that supposedly said that if everybody gets the Bible in their hands, they can know the truth for themselves. Well, how's that worked? We have 40,000 different denomination and at least that many different views on scripture. Right? You know, when I was in seminary, I had to look at uh, a particular passage of scripture and do this thing called exegesis, which meant I'd go into the original languages, I'd read the writings of those of contemporary authors, not biblical authors, but contemporary authors of the time, I had to study linguistics. I had to understand how language works. That's all part of linguistics. I had to, had to do so much work to, to translate from the Greek or from the Hebrew one passage of scripture and to consult with all the scholars, or at least the main scholars, the ones that, were, uh, that are highly respected in that particular field, and, find, and, and then come up with my own interpretation to that. And, uh, and as I was reading these different scholars, I'm saying, this is remarkable. These guys are reading the same passage of scripture as I am, but we're all coming up with very different views and beliefs on this thing. And so truth, and, and this is not to discourage anyone, this is just to say, truth is a very difficult thing to get there, to get to. I don't believe that there isn't truth. I believe there is truth. There is. It exists. 
Um, but part of the thing that makes it difficult for us to get a hold of it is that we only see, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, we only see in parts. It's like looking through a mirror, but of course the mirrors in those days were like, were like um, stamped or, or uh, beaten out bronze. And so the reflection was imperfect, uh, not like mirrors today. And so he's saying, look, this is how we see the world. It's a very, very imperfect, very unclear. Uh, and yet there are moments of real clarity, right? We've all experienced that, moments of tremendous clarity. We see it, we understand it, we're able to move forward. Um, and so what's important about truth is understanding that whatever you know now, you need to move forward toward it with the humility, knowing that there's more to know and more to understand and that you only see in part. And that's a value that we have to hold on to if we're going to grow into truth more and more. Uh, and so that requires us to be open, open to the voices of other people as they speak and speak into our lives. And the first part of truth is what's more important about truth than knowing the truth that exists out there. Like what does, what do the scriptures say? It's to look in, in inwardly and to see in what ways am I blind? In what ways do I need my eyes opened? Right? So this is the Jesus miracles of healing the blind. Right? And the parable behind that, the authors are trying to communicate is that we're all blind and we're all in need of, of regular healing for us to see and to see the truth. So we see the truth about ourselves. We see the truth about the world more. As we continue down that path, the more that we see, the closer we get to truth. And we get around people who demonstrate that for us. And that's really profound. And Jesus himself was the epitome of those characters in the New Testament to such a degree that he is able to say that I am the truth, right? the way, the life. So I am the way, the, the truth, and the life is John 14, 6. He's able to state that clearly because he was closer to the truth than anyone else was in his day. And people were able to see that in him and be drawn to him. Okay. So that's John. That's, that's just a little bit. I wanted to say a little bit more about truth. I won't say as much about the others. But just because of how important and primary truth is to anything else that we do um, and, and learn. So, all right. So, truth, secondly, um, is uh, noble, whatever is noble. Another way of translating that is honorable. So, these are, these are, this is a character. This is, has to do with good character. So, developing good character in, in your life. So, meditating on what that is, like developing a character that that is um, that is noble, that is good, that is honorable, that is that other people can look to um, as well. Uh, thirdly, is right. Um, whatever is right, this has to do with right action. Whatever is right in terms of your right actions towards other people, and so you're you're reflecting on that. What is the what is the better thing I can do? So again, your temptation might be to go to what did I do? Yeah. I didn't do something right. I did something poor towards someone else. That's important to see so that you can come to terms with it. But then reflect also on what ways can I act in a way that is good, that is noble towards another person. Notice here, Paul doesn't say, think about how bad you've been and how bad your character has been, how bad you've been towards other people. Right? He doesn't say reflect on that so you don't do the stupid thing again, which he could have. You could have simply said, look, don't be an idiot towards people, you know, and that would have been what we would expect because that's how we think. That's how where our minds take us is 
how I did something that I shouldn't have done or said something I shouldn't have done. But Paul says, no, that's one part. The other part is something uh, more positive. So uh, in some of the mystical uh, traditions of contemplation in the Christian uh, tradition is that of positiva and negativa. And the negativa is the sort of emptying of our of ourselves. So it's the emptying of our thoughts, quieting our thoughts, which is very difficult for us to do as humans, quiet our thoughts, quiet the noise around us, quiet our emotions and be still. So that's the emptying, this the, the negativa practice. And then there's a positiva practice, which is to focus or contemplate on something good, the thing that you would like to become, the thing that you admire, that you're drawn to. But Paul is articulating here is that of a positiva. So focus on the cat, the kind of right behavior you want to exhibit, the kind of right characters we just talked about you want to have, uh, the kind of truth you want to uh, know and to communicate. So next is pure, whatever's pure. Um, this has to do with, uh, again, morality or, or the, the kind of faultlessness that we seek in our lives as well. So in what ways are you not faultless, but pure? And so see the positive in that? It's what is, what is pure? What is beautiful? What is enticing? What draws you, right? And that's why he gets, goes next to what is lovely, which lovely in the, in the original language is much more of a uh, what attracts you? What draws you? What's compelling? What's inspiring? What causes you to fall in love with it? What causes you to want to show grace to that thing, to that person? Right? That's the, that's the uh, whatever is lovely. So it's a meditation on things that have to do with beauty, things that are inspiring, things that draw your heart. Right? So things like Geez, that that the these people in my life, you know, I I care about them, I love them. It's thinking about that instead of thinking about the negative. Again, it's very focused towards that positiva expression. Right? Um, next is whatever's admirable or of good reputation. I'm going to say a little bit more about this, since I'll tell you what today it seems like reputation, at least good reputation, means nothing. Um, it's in, in, in the news world or in the social media world, um, it, there is, there's no, no, there's no such thing as bad news. Um, there is bad news in the sense of it's bad news, but there's no such thing as news that is bad. Any news that the only news that's bad is that which does not, uh, create a whole lot of clicking and a whole lot of following and a whole lot of liking and a whole lot of watching. That's the only kind of news that's bad in the news world. If it causes you to click onto it, if it causes you to watch it, if it causes you to be drawn to it, that's a win in the world of news. So it has nothing to do with what is good, what is admirable, what is positive, what is life-giving. It has nothing to do with that. And the sooner that we can get a hold of that, the better off we are. So we stop watching the main news media outlets that are popular today. We stop. We might view a few minutes of it, but we stop. We don't binge on it. We don't watch hours of it. We pull away from that. Now I'm insistent on this. For me, this is a black and white thing. It's so, it's so obvious to me what the news intends to do to you and me. And it's also obvious to me what it does to your spirit when you spend a whole lot of time binging on that stuff is you come out darker. You come out angrier. You come out more depressed. You do not come out praiseworthy. 
You do not come out celebrating God. You do not come out. Tell me the last time you watched Fox News or CNN and came away and said, praise Jesus, I'm feeling fantastic. I'm feeling so uplifted about humanity. I feel really good. Like, and I'm also equipped to just go out and really meet people's needs after watching this or spending hours on social media. No, that never happens. And yet we spend lots of time. Now, don't beat yourself up. It's the orientation of our brains. Our brains are hardwired for negative bias. We prefer negative bias because it helps us to feel like we can prepare to be safe in the world. That's normal. There's nothing abnormal about that. You just have to retrain your brain because it doesn't produce good results in your life. And so you have to kind of say, okay, that's the stuff I can't pay attention to. Now, in the days before any of this kind of stuff was happening, before the days of cities, prior to the Industrial Revolution, people lived in agrarian cultures. So it was raising you know, food, raising um, livestock, all this, that, that was this lifestyle then. At that point, to pay attention to negative news was very important because it meant your, the preserving of your life and of your family's life. With the advent of cities, and then after that, uh, all this news that gets passed around, you are learning about tragedies that are happening across the world. And it causes you to have a reaction, stress reaction, and yet there's nothing you can do about it. That's the problem that's been exacerbated since the time of Paul. And even Paul in the days of agrarian cultures is saying, this is important for you to focus on the positive. How much more now that we are bombarded by news that, it, that we have nothing, we can't do anything about. So when he says, think on these things. It means that we take our attention off of the things that are bringing us down and we put them on things that lift us up. Um, so um, that's important. So thinking about those things. Now, good reputation, back to that a little bit more, matters a lot. Good reputation matters because this is uh, both for, uh, this is where we have to kind of figure this out ourselves is that there's an amount of paying attention to what other people think of us that is detrimental to our well-being. It's living in the social mirror. How do people think of, what do people think of me, right? On the other extreme, it's I don't care what anybody thinks. Neither extreme is what Paul is thinking about when he's writing this. It has nothing to do with um, how do people, do people like me? How many people like me? That gives me my sense of self-worth. Um, nor is it about, I don't care and I'm going against everything that everybody says and I'm going to do things my way. It is the ability to pay attention to the feedback that the world gives you and to notice it, to see, is this true of me? And in what ways can I grow through that so that my reputation is positive in the world around me? But if someone doesn't like me because of something that I value, that I thoughtfully value, then that's okay too. It hurts, but I'm not gonna change my behavior because of that, okay? And Paul lives in both worlds because Paul is hated by some and eventually gets killed for it. I mean, he does not, he is not liked by everybody. So he's not talking about being liked by everybody, 
but he's talking about making sure that your reputation is that which is almost impossible for people to accuse. They may accuse you of a lot of things. They may misunderstand a lot of things, right? But your reputation among those uh, who are close to you, more so than those who are on the, on the periphery, those who are closest to you, that they would vouch for your reputation. They would say, yeah, that person, that person's a person of, of a good moral character. That person's someone that I believe in, I can trust. That person is, um, uh, it, it loves, loves well and shows the grace and shows mercy um, and, and is, behaves rightly towards other people. Um, so that's, the, that's what Paul means by, I think, good reputation. And then finally, he says, uh, whatsoever is, um, or he says, you know, whatever is excellent and worthy of praise, think on these things. So he takes all these six characteristics and he distills them down to these two, whatever is excellent and whatever is praiseworthy, right? So whatever is of excellence in the sense of how are you behaving, how are you acting in this world, and then whatever is causing uh, praise or good reputation, whatever's admirable, you know, you know, th those kinds of characteristics that's also embedded in there. So think about these, maybe a, a way to think about these two things is, um, both that there is a rightness about your actions and there's a beauty about your actions. Uh, sometimes we, we lose the beauty in, in, in this, right? You have some, some circles that really emphasize lots of you know, morality, 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 morality is usually very narrow in its scope of what it means by morality. It's like morality and your personal piety, your personal, like you can be a jerk to other people. You can, but you know, you're, 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 uh, you, you, you know, you, you, you have never committed adultery. You know, you, uh, you, you don't, uh, lie. That's obvious, no obvious lies, you know, that kind of thing. But in terms of your, um, actions towards other people, that's not as important. So Paul is using morality in that broad sense. Your actions towards other people are good. They're just, they're loving, they're gracious. And you're also living a life that uh, you yourself can be proud of. Um, and beauty, is it inspiring to other people? Is your life inspiring, you know? Or are you so dark because you're working so hard on yourself that other people don't wanna be around you? Like that, that happens so much of the time too, where people get into this, like, I got to improve. I got to be better. I got to focus on myself and, and, and you become darker and you're not inspiring to anybody. You know, I've heard some people who said, you know, when my partner got off of, uh, you know, smoking, um, quit smoking uh, or quit drinking, they became a, a beast. They became intolerable to live with and, um, and said, you know, I'd rather you go back to drinking or smoking than be this kind of person at home, right? So that's how that happens too. Now, sure, early on in the transition, that happens, right? Because we're learning to grow through that uh, through that process. Um, but if it's going on for months and years, and you're still miserable, and it it's it does not inspire or draw uh, others towards it, and it doesn't sustain for you either. Um, we're meant to be drawn towards that which is good, not running from that which is bad alone. It's both, but you're not designed to just run from that which is bad. Um, so uh, for some folks, I've, I've drawn sort of a scale and I've said, most of us, we live at 
zero to negative five in our lives. Negative five is total destruction. Zero is sort of neutral, average, not doing anything bad, but not doing anything great either. And we kind of live there. Um, and, uh, and so if we haven't done anything bad, we feel pretty good about ourselves. We're somewhere around zero, you know. Um, and, and, and that's the sort of negative, that's the sort of negative, not the negative of practice, but that's sort of the like avoidance of anything bad is trying to bring yourself up to zero. And, uh, um, and Paul's focus here is think on the things that are good so that you're aiming your life towards that, doing something really good. That's above the line. That's the plus one to the plus five. And so I encourage us this morning to reflect on in what ways you know, do I spend my time thinking about these things? In my prayer time, when I'm, when I'm praying, where does my mind go? And do I spend more time ruminating than I do contemplating on that which is good, that which is beautiful, that which is right, that which is noble, that which is uh, praiseworthy? Do I think about those things? And do I dwell? I mean, Paul is saying, like, think, dwell, live into it, spend lots of time there. Why? Because our minds are not, as I said, hardwired to do that. So it takes discipline to do it. Um, so I'd like to, you know, I'd like to hear from you on, on that as well. Like uh, put something in the chat, maybe some thoughts that you have around this, some questions, some comments, whatever, whatever comes up for you. Um, put that in here. Um, and, uh, and then um, maybe we can also uh, unmute you if you've got some thoughts about that. Um, but uh, how much, uh, how difficult is this for you? And, and do you have a practice? You know, have you been practicing some of this yourself? Um, what, is there anything inspiring about what you've heard this morning that's causing you to rethink some of this? Like, maybe I should, maybe I need to do more of this. Um, put that also in the chat or wave at us and we can unmute you if you want to say something about that. What makes it more difficult for you too? That's another thing is, um, are there lifestyle uh, or lifestyles that make it difficult for you to do some of this stuff. Um, again, no shame. I mean, this is just, this is just a, like Paul is saying, like, recognize, like, this is where your mind wants, you want to put your mind on these things, right? So no shame, no guilt. This is something we're all kind of weak at, but learning to do more of. Um, so, uh, but yeah, if there are lifestyles that are more difficult and in the sense that you might be super busy, you might have um, people around you that kind of bring you down, negative people, um, you know, as long as they're not on Zoom with you right now, uh, you might want to mention that. Um, maybe you battle uh, with depression. Um, that can also play a role in, in, in helping you to focus on the positive. Um, and that's a legitimate struggle that many folks have. Um, so, uh, yeah, thoughts. I'm going to take a pause here and, and uh, love to hear from you. Yes. Yeah. Thank you for that talk, Joel. That was really good. I just, um, I just had a couple of thoughts for myself personally, um, that, you know, especially, I don't know if anyone else relates to this, but especially, um, as someone who's kind of grown up in a church environment and also as a, as a two and Enneagram two, um, I find, uh, probably over the past, you know, five, five years in particular, the concept of self-care um, has often felt very selfish to me. 
Um, but I find that the more that I kind of like selfishly take time for myself, um, you know, like going on walks in the morning or just taking time to refresh myself, like that enables me to um, kind of consciously be able to focus on what is true and what is pure. Mm. Um, whereas my tendency, um, as someone who struggles with depression, my tendency is really more toward the negative. Um, and I don't usually present that way, but I really, I really am quite a bit of a pessimist at heart. And so I find that for me, um, like the, the two things that make it really hard for me to kind of stay in that place that you were talking about, Joel, is um, one, when I'm way too, I have this tendency to like take on more than I can handle and like try to do way too much. Um, and so when I get too busy, then I get really short and snappy with my kids because we like, we got to get out of the house. Come on, guys, let's go. Let's go. And everybody knows kids don't move quickly, you know, <laughs> um, and we can't get anywhere on time. Um, <laughs> I am, Jim. I, trust me, I am. I really am a pessimist. Um, but then the other thing is like, I, I feel like I kind of have like grown up like receiving these evangelical like cultural messages of like joy is when you give to Jesus first and then others, and then yourself. That's how you get joy. And like these things like kind of subtly like sink in, like, oh, well, the right thing to do is to put others first, you know? Yeah. Um, but that can be really damaging. Like that can do some real damage. Um, and so I think for me lately, and especially since having kids, um, young kids, like has been learning to say like, no, this is my time. I'm taking this time now. The mom shop is closed. We're done. And I'm going to refresh, you know, and, and if I don't do that, um, it, everyone pays, but it really, um, just in terms of my prayer life and my uh, staying in a place of what is pure and lovely and true is really hard for me. So that's yeah. just my two cents. Yeah. Really good, Jen. And yeah, thanks for sharing that. You're doing it. I mean, you're doing it. So that's like, you know, yay, right. Um, you're getting time to pull away and you're taking it. And, uh, but I mean, I think you bring up such good reality. This is a good reality check for all of us. Like I love the mom shop too. That was hilarious. Um, uh, I love that. I've never heard that. Uh, but yeah, you, you know, um, I think that you, you, you said you don't present that way. That's true. You don't, you don't present as negative. You present always as positive. What I find is that there's some people that present that are very positive towards other people, but negative towards themselves. Um, you know, and, and so that's, that's also something that's a real, like, oh yeah, I didn't think about that in preparing this. Like, that's true. That's true for me too. Like I can be very positive towards certain things and then negative towards other things. Right. So it's like, I have to pay attention to that. And what, where, where is it that positivity comes naturally and easy and where does it not? And where it doesn't, that's the area I have to kind of work on like, oh, right. When I'm alone, when I'm not doing stuff that's fun or with people that are, you know, that are, um, that are fun to uh, interact with, where does, where do my thoughts go, you know, and can I turn that around in the middle of that while it's happening and kind of go to Paul's kind of, you know, instructions there to think about these things and to dwell on these things. So I just love that, Jen. That's really, really helpful. Um, and you're doing it again, you're taking time. And I mean, this is all that Paul is, I think, suggesting is like, look, this is what prayer looks like. You, you kind of have to do this and get away and, and, and spend time and, and uh, do something that feels selfish 
Because you imagine, think on good things as opposed to think on negative things. Which one feels more selfish? Think on good things. Uh, I think their internet just went down. So it is time to worship anyway. So we're going to go into that. But that's a topic worth coming back to. Um, if you have other topics you think this would be really good to come back to, um, like to hear it. This this series about the genres and about prayer is, was like really big on my heart, but I'm, I'm guessing there's some other things that might be good to tackle in the, in the coming season. So kind of a process a bit together, but I hugely appreciate um, your vulnerability, Jen. And um, this is something we're all trying to figure this out, right? So one thing that um, strong believer in is the starting point has to be grace. When you're trying to answer any of these questions, the starting point has to be grace because um, there's not like a finished version of you that's got this right already and that you can be like, oh, well, that's what it looks like to do this right in this complicated situation with all of, with my personality and my family and my history and my cultural values and my religious history. And no, so grace to you, you're figuring it out. You're the first one to ever have to figure this out. You're the first person to ever have to figure out what it's like to be you. So grace in that. And for so many of these questions, we can talk about them and there's a complexity to talking about it. There's a complexity to the solution, but um, I think it comes back to, you know, this keeping that connection, keeping that relationship with God um, and with the body. So there's like that, you know, uh, the, the, the check of accountability. So it's not just like I'm coming up with crazy stuff, me and God are coming up with this stuff and I get to act however I think because sometimes we can do a lot of creation, but it's supposed to be checked against the community. So um, keeping in prayer and connection with God and keeping in connection with each other to bounce stuff off of, to check stuff out with. That is the whole, that is the presence of God encapsulated in its different forms. in the holy other and the holy us. Good morning, everyone. Um, okay, so if you'd like prayer, please stay on after benediction and you'll be connected to the prayer team. Tithe and offerings can be made on the Vine 39 website on the homepage, or you can mail them to, thank you, Dave, to um, Vine 39 PO Box 1135, Saugus Mass 01906. It's all in the chat. Um, Patty and I will go by and pick them up. And that's really all I have for announcements. And I'm gonna do benediction if that's okay. Um, so, may your eyes be so focused on Jesus that you are able to see only what lifts you and others up. May your heart be so full of love that you're able to give and receive grace to yourself and others. May your hands be so busy catching the blessings that you are able to let go of any things that no longer serve you. Blessings on your week. I love you all. Mwah.